would you say if I asked you the question, what is happiness to you? Is it a state of being, short-term, long-term? Is it a skill? Is it naturally a part of all of us? Today on Dr. D's Social Network, we speak with Taylor Proctor, whose company, Happiness Abound, is incredible. She really does the hard work of helping other people become happier. And not just in this commercial way and put out there in social media, like the really hard work of becoming a happier version of yourself. So, wanna learn how to get happier? Become a happier person? Make sure you check out this episode, Taylor Proctor. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Yeah, I, I feel good about it. I I think I I saw your profile through it was one of these sites where like podcasters are on and guests. And I was like, I gotta talk to this person. I, <laughs> I like that. I just go on a feel with people. I have no real criteria besides just a feeling I get mm. when I check it out. Well, I'm glad I was putting out that good vibe. There was some vibe and I was like, okay, uh, let's see what Taylor's up to. So tell me a little bit about just your background, where you grew up, things like that. We'll just kick it off from there, you know? Sure. So I think before going into my background, you should probably know a little bit, a little bit about what I do professionally, because this will have every every point on my background. Mm. Uh, so I currently am what I call a transformational happiness mentor. So it's like a life coach, but with an emphasis in helping people discover their own personal happiness. And that goes into my backstory because I used to be a pretty happy like kid. You asked about growing mm -hmm. up. I was a four sport athlete. I was outgoing, super positive all the time. Life was awesome. And then as I, as I became an adult, I, you know, life kind of kicks you around a little bit. I mm -hmm. had a early divorce. I had a um, family member that was um, a three-year-old in our family pass away. And there was just a lot of things that happened that kind of brought me down. And I didn't realize this till years later, but I built up habits in my life that were more centered on anger and protection and defense mechanisms versus what I had been previously, which was pretty happy, outgoing and uh, easygoing. And so as I fell more into these angry habits, the more miserable I became. And it got to a point where I was living in the negative side of the spectrum, the angry side of the spectrum, way more than I was ever in the happy side of the spectrum. And it was starting to impact my work. I, before becoming a happiness mentor, I worked in marketing and it was impacting that because nobody really wanted to work with me because I wasn't the happiest of people. I wasn't, <laughs> right. I wasn't a great person to get along with. I'd lose my temper quickly. I wasn't getting those uh, sales deals or like the promotion because of that. I was trying to numb out and eat my feelings because when you're angry all the time, like you're angry, but then that's really just a blanket emotion to everything else. And I didn't want to feel any of those emotions because I was in this protection state. So I was eating a lot of food. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was binge eating a lot and I gained a lot of weight. So my physical health was kind of a mess as well. And then even in my relationship, I, re I remarried and my partner, my spouse now, funny enough, actually knew me back when I was a little bit younger and carefree. And he would say to me occasionally, where did you go? 
you used to be so happy. And I wish I could say that he told me that like one time and it was like, ding, 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 ding. And right, we need right. to, make, we need to make some changes. But I was so far gone that I was like, what? Like, no, that's whatever you've got going on. Like, that's your fault, your problem. I'm <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. yeah, I'm fine. I'm not angry. Like, how dare you say that kind of thing. Right. And over a series of years, he'd bring it up every once in a while. And it was probably like the fifth or sixth time that he said it. I realized that, man, I might lose my marriage. And not that he ever implied that or said that, but I was like, wait a minute, I'm angry all the time. I'm pretty unhappy. And here is my spouse being like, okay, this is, this is pretty rough. Is there something we can do about this? Um, like, where did you go? This is not the person that I, that I thought I was getting married to. And I realized that I was unhappy and something needed to change. And so I asked myself, what is it that I really want? And I realized that all I wanted was to be happy. That was it. And I think we all want that at some level. I think that the desire for happiness in our life is inherent. It's natural. But the act of being happy in our lives, we feel like that should be natural. And we look at others and we see that they're quote unquote happy. And we feel like we must be broken because we don't feel that happiness. And so there's a delineation between this idea of the desire for happiness is inherent, is natural, but being happy itself is not. It is a learned skill. And when I was able to transition to that space of learning it as a skill, it put it back in my control and I started to build the happiness habits and things to be happier in my life. And after several years, I looked back and went, holy smokes, I'm actually pretty happy. I get angry less and less frequently. When I do get angry, I can work through it, process it and come back to the other side of like the positive, positive side of the pendulum. And this is pretty awesome. This, act this actually worked. And then I realized like, I can't be the only person who has ever been in that space of that mm -hmm. frustration and the anger and feeling like everything was chaotic. And I was putting off the things that were important to me. I was doing all this stuff that wasn't helping my life. And I realized I can't be the only person who struggled with that. And I definitely don't want everybody else to go through the five to seven years that I did. So I uh, started my own podcast. And then about six months into that of just sharing my journey I became a certified mentor and the rest is history. Now I'm a happiness mentor. I help people find their happy score. And then we improve upon that in like a 10 week one-on-one -on -one mentoring period. And uh, we go from like a two or a three to at the end of 10 weeks, a seven, eight, nine, and sometimes even 10 on that score. So it's the most rewarding and fulfilling work I could possibly imagine. And it's all centered on happiness, which I absolutely love. Excellent. Thanks for that. It's awesome. I, uh, I'm curious. What do you think that people, you mentioned about uh, that's not, not always natural, the whole deal. What are some other maybe misperceptions that people have about happiness that you have observed? Yes, I love this question. There's so many misconceptions around happiness that we just, it's so intriguing to me because everyone falls into these habits and these misconceptions. And then you kind of look back and go, oh, it didn't feel like that was a thing that was going to make me happy. And so I love to call out what I call the societal checklist. Okay. And the societal checklist is that you've gone to school, got the degree, 
You Mm -hmm. left school, you got the job, hopefully high paying. So then you have the money. Then maybe you bought the nice car. Then you bought the nice house. Maybe you married a partner, spouse in the middle of that. So you got the great spouse. You started a family. And then you have the successful corner office, like corporate world, or you have a successful (laughs) entrepreneurial journey, right? And what I see is that we've met the, we meet these checklist marks. Now, whether you've met them all or you're on your way up, we have this belief, this misconception, this perception that when I get these things, then I will be happy. And in our minds, we've equated success to happiness and putting success first equaling happiness versus what is the true way, which is happiness equaling success. So, so many of us go through that societal checklist unknowingly. We just have kind of bought into it since we're little kids. I'm going to use this college as an example. Growing up, I always heard like, you need to go to school to get a degree to get a good job. Well, why do I need a good job? You need a good job to make money so that you can have a nice house to support your family and your spouse. Okay, so why do I need that? Well, because then you'll be happy and you'll have a fulfilled life. So the whole thing is built on this checklist that implies that we're going to be happy when we get these things. And what happens is that we meet all of these things or we're on our way and we look around and we go, okay, well, I've been working really hard or I've made it and I've worked really hard and I look around and I'm not happy. And there's a difference between happiness and success. And the thing is, is when they come together, you have fulfillment, but you can't have success, true success without actual happiness. And so there's that misconception. Yeah. Uh, the other misconception that kind of really ties closely to that is that as a society, we have romanticized this idea of to be happy in my life, I have to start over. I call it, uh, it's, I should probably think of a better name for it, but I call it like the eat, pray, love model. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where totally. Like, I mean, unhappy- great movie. I like the movie, but you know. Yes. Yes. A great book too. But it's one of those where, we think, okay, I'm unhappy. So I'm going to have to divorce my partner, uproot my whole life, quit my job and go travel the world for a year, do the eat, pray, love route. And then I'll find myself and then I'll be happy. And I have to start over. And what happens is, is we have a conflict there because if you have worked so hard for everything on that checklist, starting over is scary. And it's like, I've worked so hard just to throw it all away. And so people are like, to be happy, I have to throw everything away. And I don't want to do that. And that's a misconception. You do not have to throw everything away. In fact, you can keep all the success you've worked so hard for and you can create happiness habits so you can feel happiness every single day in your life with a, without a complete, uh, I keep on saying start over, but like a complete washout. Instead, yeah. you can put things in place to find and discover your happiness every day. And then when you're in a clearer mental and emotional state because of that, you can look at your life and make tweaks. You don't have to have a huge overhaul. But I would say those are the two biggest misconceptions around happiness. Obviously, we can go deeper into like the checklist, money equaling happiness, all these other perceptions. But those are the two biggest on a broader scope that I think so many people fall into. This I'll be happy when and somehow success equaling happiness. And if I do want to be happy because I've worked so hard for all these things, I'm going to have to get rid of it all to start over to find myself. When in fact, you can find yourself, still have all the things you've worked for and still be happy. That's amazing. I love the kind of the dichotomy between those two things. And I wonder what your uh, thoughts are about how current levels of technology, social media have influenced people's feelings about happiness. 
Ooh, I love this question. You're so, you've got so many good hey, ones. Man, listen, this is what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, um, yeah, I think there's a couple of components around this. One, so social media can be a great tool for connection and connection is part of the happiness spectrum, right? As humans, we like to feel connected to each other. We want to be part of society. We want to make these friendships, these relationships, and feel like we're part of something that's bigger than us and that we feel supported in that. So social media can help with that. But what I find is that it can be a tool for good or for bad, but I like to look at it more in the lines of um, entertainment versus escapism. And our perceptions of happiness, this falls into a couple of categories. One, we start to compare ourselves to others. And I fell into this trap. I would see other people that were happy and I was like, I'm just trying to be happy. And all I can feel is this anger. These people have it so easy. <laughs> there must be something wrong with me. Right. And so I'd see that and I'd compare and I'd go, there must be something wrong with me. I must be broken. I must be defective. And maybe I'm just destined to have a life of angry and I'm broken because I believed that happiness, the act of happiness, the emotion, the feeling of happiness was inherent. I believed it was natural. And so everyone else had it and I must be broken. And that did not help my mental state, did not help my emotional state. And in fact, I would feel so ashamed that something might be wrong with me and I'd feel guilty and I'd feel afraid that then, because I didn't want to feel those emotions, I would blanket it with anger and that would just feed it even more. So I think first off, comparing ourselves to others with these beliefs that the expectation that happiness is natural for everyone else, when we have a bad day, we see those highlight reels and we go... Mm -hmm something must be wrong with me. And that is not the case. So I think that social media in that regard has been, from a comparison standpoint, hasn't been the most beneficial. Because if you look at it, the phrase keeping up with the Joneses used to mean your neighbors. So you could see if they bought the new boat, but you didn't see that the people three neighborhoods down also bought a so boat. So true. Right? And so now you see not only your neighbors, but then you see the people three neighborhoods down and then the people two states over and you see all these people who are doing these things and you think, well, I don't have that. And it causes this depression, this anxiety, these components that we start to see more relevant in social media every single day. Um, but then the other component of social media and happiness is there are six ways that people buffer their emotions. So I was saying like I was angry and then I would go and I would mm -hmm. eat and I would watch Netflix and I also would scroll through social media. And it's the second that the eating went from fuel to escapism. The Netflix went from entertainment to escapism. Social media went from entertainment and connection to escapism. That's when it is no longer healthy. And I find so often that people who rank on like the happiness scale, when they rank in the 20%, the 30%, 40% range, there's often a bulk of time in their days that are spent trying to escape the feelings that they've been pushing down for so long, the feelings of unhappiness, the anger, all of those pieces, they have been trying to escape those for so long. And so to numb those emotions, they turn to food, they turn to video games, they turn to Netflix, they turn to alcohol, maybe to drugs, but then they also turn to social media and start scrolling there. And the interesting part is, is that blends with the comparison and continues to feed those negative emotions. So I think social media can be a great tool uh, it can be very entertaining, but when it comes to happiness, we need to be very cautious about how we're using it and making sure that we're using it for entertainment and for connection versus a form of escapism and comparison. So, yeah, no, that's, again, I think it's, it's excellent kind of the two points with that. 
what are some actionable ways that people can not be so pulled in to seeing someone else's lifestyle and thinking they must be happy, this life is so happy, or, or not being pulled in kind of that, that tractor beam of that? Yeah. So I would say here is, an, I'm going to throw you an interesting idea that's going to okay. feel like it's not connected, but I promise it is. All right. So when we look at other people, well, I'm going to back step, back step for a second. When you are walking through your life and you think back at your, the, the end of the day, going to bed, you're thinking about the end of the day, everything that happened that day, we have a higher likelihood to remember, to remember and memorize our failures, the spots where we dropped and the negative things that happened. Human nature, this is typically how we are. Habitually, that's how we have been raised. So what happens is, is that we remember and memorize all of the negative things that have happened in our life. Then we go to social media, we compare, and we see all the great things everybody else is posting. And so it exasperates the situation of, well, my life must be crap because I'm only remembering and seeing the negative aspects and their life must be amazing because I'm only seeing their positive aspects. So there's something that I recommend doing that has nothing to do with social media, but has a big influence on not falling into those traps. And that is, I like to write and track a success every single day because it starts to train your brain to not look for the negative. Yes, we can always improve, but not look for the negative, but instead find the areas you were successful in the day. And I love this because it's one of the things that I have my mentoring clients do. First thing, mm -hmm. they sign the contract, then it's, okay, every day, send me a text of one success. And in our 10-week period, it's so interesting to watch because at the first, I'll get the text like very end of the night, like right before they're going to bed. And it's like, oh, I had a hard time thinking of a success, but I guess this will do. I'm like, great. Then a couple of weeks in, I start to get that success a little bit earlier in the day. Like they're looking for that success because they know they're going to have to send me a text. They're looking for that success throughout the day. And then once it happens, they're like, I'm just going to send this now because there's no time constraint. It just has to be in the day. Then by the end of working together, I'm getting novels of text that are right. this yeah. happened and this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. And they're, they feel successful and happier and they're built up the positive evidence in their brain that they are capable of doing good things. They are capable of happiness and capable of success in their lives because now they have all that evidence built up over a 10 week period where in the past, that's not something you think about. You just think my life is this and you hold on, memorize the negative aspects. So when it comes to the social media stuff, well, tracking a daily success feels like it's in a peripheral view from what we're talking about social media. It in fact can be a great help in being like, ah, that person has got their new car. That's really cool. Today, I nailed it in that business call, right? And you can come back to yourself and be happy for them, which is hard for a lot of people, but be happy for them, but also be happy for yourself because you've built that up and you have that library of all these positive things happening in your life as well regardless of them being on, posted on social media or not. So like I said, kind of a tangent one-off exercise, but something mm -hmm. that I love to do that I think can greatly help in all areas, but especially that comparison trap on social media. Now, are you seeing, I mean, how I want to restate this, it feels like happiness is becoming kind of an industry to some folks and that like many things, it can be taken over by people who don't necessarily have the best intentions. 
which is crazy because it's happiness. How do you differentiate or how does someone differentiate working with maybe someone like you versus someone else who may um, be plugging happiness as kind of this pill that, you know, just be happy, you know, like, and, and put, you know, cause there's, I think there's, I've seen it where there's a lot of people pushing happiness. I'm connected to so many people, but some of it that doesn't feel genuine, honestly. Yeah. How do how do you how does someone wade through what's the best options to work with somebody and that they're truly working on happiness in a way that is actually realistic for them? Definitely. So I love the idea. I've mentioned it already. It's kind of my cornerstone of happiness habits because it's not a quick pill. Habits take time. They take effort and energy and they take reoccurring consistent action which means you can't just, oh, I'm going to take this course and suddenly I'm happy. Right. Right. Yes. Or, or my favorite, just think positively. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, cool. That's great advice. How, and how do I maintain it? And how is it sustainable? Because that's the thing you want to connect with people and whether it's me or someone else, you want to be looking for, do they have timeframes on what they're saying? Right. So I can say in 10 weeks, by building on your happiness habits is going to be hard work, but we can make sure that you're happier. It's sustainable. And you have the tools in your tool belt to keep moving forward without me and still be happy. Like there's not a crutch for me as a coach that you have to keep on working with me. Or like you would see with like a traditional therapist, you're in therapy for 10 years. You're like, I feel like I've gotten nowhere and I'm not any happier. It's not like that. Instead, it's here's the actionable tools. Here's your tool belt. Let's move forward. And here, you can go off on your own now and be happy every single day because you've built up the habits and the routines. So I would say looking at timeframes is an important component of that. Also, do they provide actual tips, like skill sets, formulas, modules, whatever it may be, structure is big for me. Because if you're just like, hey, think positively, I'm like, okay, well, what's the structure around that? Because the second I think, okay, I'm going to think positively, then when I don't think positive, I feel like I failed because apparently it was just so easy, right? And it's not. We have habits in our brains that of how we're thinking. So when it's just think positively and you don't, then you feel like you've broken or you've made a mistake or you just didn't get it. When in fact, they didn't equip you with the tools to start to make those changes, right? They didn't equip you with the tools to actually figure out what you're thinking, why you're thinking it process through it, and then make the decision to move in a different direction. And that's at the highest level right there. But even that, that's a framework. That's a structure that can provide you information and help right now. It's not saying, oh, you have to sign up with me. It's going to be a lot of money, but then I'll give you all the right. details. No, help them <laughs> now. If you're, if happiness is your, your jam, and I can say that wholeheartedly because I freaking love happiness. I could yeah. talk about it all day, every day. But if it's your jam, help people be happy. That's it. Yeah. And instead of trying to like scam or make, like you can make a business out of it. Obviously I have a business on being a happiness mentor, but I have a podcast that offers all that information for free. I have Facebook groups that are free. I do podcasts and things like this that are free because I want people to remember that they are capable of happiness abound. That is my mission first and foremost. And would I love to make that impact and make an income? Yes, but not on the backs of schemey, scammy. I'll tell you, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you once you pay and then just yes. tell you, be positive. Right. It's not like yeah. that. Yeah. So I would say to take away from that very quickly, 
uh, look for timeframes and look for structure in what they're teaching. Most definitely. Now, how do, how do you feel that 2020, which has been a crazy year, 2020 <laughs> has affected our perspective of happiness? I actually want to turn this on you for a second. I would love to know what okay. you think. I'd love to know what you think <laughs> 2020 has done for your happiness. You know, I think um, my happiness, I think the turn I've made with that happened several years ago. But I think f for me, what it has, it hasn't really dented my happiness. Honestly, it sounds weird, uh, maybe on some level, uh, because I think I've, I've, I've built up a really good system and coping mechanisms and a variety of things that have, that when things that are difficult hit my life, I have good ways of channeling it and understanding how I'm going to weather these things and how I'm going to process the information and how I'm going to respond uh, to the variety of things that have happened this year. So I feel like I've stayed fairly happy throughout the time. And I think sometimes that can be hard because you may question like, I feel good, I feel happy, but there's a lot of unhappiness going on mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that can be difficult in some way because you're like, well, the, the psyche of the nation may feel like things are really difficult or bad, but then on your own level, you're like, well, I feel pretty good. You know, I feel happy. And there's a lot of things I've done for that, but sometimes feeling that way and watching other things, I think can be difficult as well. Yeah. So what that sounds like to me is that you have put in place the happiness habits, which can be mental, emotional, physical, et cetera, in place that you know when something happens, how you respond, how you process it in ways that can contribute to your happiness versus bring you down. And a lot of people don't have that. And I, I agree with that. Totally. Yeah. So it's like when you've learned these things, you not only have learned it, but you've also applied it continuously so that when something happens, it's almost automatic that you know how you're going to handle it, how you'll process it, how you're going to come out on the other side and what you're going to learn and grow from it. And with so many people that don't have that, it's because we just haven't been, we haven't been taught happiness habits. We haven't been taught how to process these negative emotions, how to process these events that are happening. We haven't been taught how to express ourselves in a way that's not anger or completely shutting down. Like yeah. these are all components that I think 2020 has really brought to light. And I think that there is a lot of things going on in the world, but I will say this, and I love that you're like, I'm actually pretty happy. Um, the rest of the world's feels a little rough. You can lead by an example, right? And yeah. when people are like, man, there's so much going on. How do you stay happy in this? That's an opportunity to say, well, actually I do this, this, and this. And this is the thing I love about happiness habits is because like I'd mentioned earlier, you don't have to overhaul your entire life to start to feel happier. You can just, you can put yeah. into place the habits that fit for you. Well, it's the same concept, regardless of what's happening in the outside world, you have the habits in place to help you move forward in your life and still feel happy regardless of everything that's happening. Now, are you impacted by things that are happening? Yes. Most definitely. Do, do things that are going on negatively impact you? Like emotionally, are they overwhelming? Are they upsetting? Absolutely. But you found a way to continuously and um, to consistently find a way to move through it that leaves you on the positive side of the spectrum versus the negative. And a lot of people, what it is, is, and I was here, they live in the negative side with small blips to the positive side. Mm 
Mm. And with happiness habits in place, you move to the positive side with small blips to the negative side. And when you go to the negative side, you use the tools to understand, to process, to move through it, to come back to the positive side. And you've learned and grown from that experience versus living in it. I love that. The small blips. And you said that, that immediately brought me to a conversation I had with one of my clients a while back. And they were like, you seem to like be generally happy, like most of the time, like, and these are over many, many years. Like I see you always come very ready and you seem joyful. I said, it doesn't mean that I don't have negative things happen to me, but I will say that they're not that, it's not that much. Like it's, there's small occurrences, not that I'm not immune from large things happening to me. Everybody has things that happen, but I feel like like I have a very good spiritual center, I have a good physical center, uh, occupational center, environmental. I've built all these things throughout the course of my life that uh, ha- help me in my well-being for that. And it's so true with like the negative things can be the large blips in your life where you have moments of happiness. That That's frustrating, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's frustrating. It's chaotic. You try to numb from it. Yeah. It's... It, it impacts everything. But on the opposite side, those habits in place leave you on the positive side a lot more and that impacts everything too. And it, essentially it's, I love that you said over the years, you've set yourself up for like your environmental and, and all of these other pieces because it's setting yourself up for the successful long haul. Yes. Which to go back to your previous question about like people that feel like it's happiness in a pill, uh, that's not a successful long haul. So sure, you might feel better tomorrow because you because you thought positively, but then on Saturday, when something happens, habitually, you've been living in the negative side of the blip. And so it's then it's not a blip, the negative side. And then you're like, well, the thinking positive didn't work. Well, of course, it didn't work because it wasn't set up for long term scalable success. Yeah, I mean, and I feel like as as sometimes people we're very drawn towards the, the shiny toy, or the the quick fix, and so many different things. And you see that in exercise, nutrition, and all that, but you're seeing it in happiness too, I feel like. And people are like, well, just give it to me now. Can I just be happy now? Or like you said, and I I, I see in the trend with this, with people just dropping their life, like you mentioned, just I'm going to go do the eat, pray, love model. It's almost as I'm going to run away from everything and reinvent myself. Mm-hmm. And then I can become this this best version of myself, I think it all can be fairly troublesome in some way. If you're looking at life in this, this bottle, you know, kind of model where it's, let me just shake it up real quick, drink it and I should be good, you know? Well, and I think a lot of that comes down to, we, we tend to be extremists, right? So it's like, I'm either absolutely miserable or I have to be absolutely happy. And we've never, we've never been taught (laughs) But here's the thing, we've never been taught either of those. Not not educationally speaking. Have we been taught through our experiences, through the people in our lives, through all these other components how to live in extreme negativity? Yeah, absolutely. Have Most we been definitely. taught how to, how to live in extreme happiness? No. But the thing is is that goes back to it's a learned skill. Right? You can learn to be happy, but learning takes time. You don't become a master uh, cellist in one day, mm-hmm. you've got to learn how to play Mary had a little lamb first. And I True. think that that's, and you can speed up the process. You can catalyst it in certain ways, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight. Now, granted, there are times where you have something that someone says and you go, it's like a lightning bolt. And you're like, oh my gosh, yes, 
yes, I'm ready. And for me, that was my husband saying, where did you go the fifth time? But even then he had to keep on being like, okay, what's going on? What's going on? And then finally it was that lightning bolt of what do I want? And then I had to put the habits in place. And I think that we just, we want to sensationalize, romanticize and move into the extremes because that is what we've been trained to believe works. Now we know if we're going to go back to your very first question about misconceptions of happiness, we know that everything worthwhile in our life can take time. Mm-hmm. takes takes hard work. It, it, sometimes it takes strategy. Sometimes it takes all these other things to kind of come into place. And anybody who's successful, they don't look back and you don't look back at them and say, wow, man, your YouTube videos, you have a million followers. That's so awesome. And you didn't see that that person lived in their car for five years doing nothing <laughs> right. but trying to film videos. You just see that suddenly right. they're successful. And so there's that component that's part of it too. But I think what it comes down to is And I imagine we're having this conversation. So I feel like your listeners aren't so much in the space of the sensationalization of just give me the quick fix, but we can, we can find ways to make it work. But as the outside world is trying to, uh, trying to get all of these, I'm going to say wins in their lives without the work, it is causing more depression, more anxiety and complete lack of confidence, which ties into my whole mission is to remind people that they are capable of happiness, right? Capable of happiness abounds. My business is called happiness bound. My podcast is called happiness bound. My tagline is you are capable of happiness abound. And the whole purpose behind that is, is that when we have these quick sensationalized things and they don't work for us, it eats away. It builds up the evidence on that negative side of the brain. We're not tracking our successes. We're only seeing our failures. And we start to fall down those patterns of anger, frustration, bitterness, resentment, fear, shame, guilt, all of that. And what happens is, is when we can start to move, that's up the ladder, if you will, through our happiness habits, through a little bit of work, without the promise that it's going to be done overnight, we start to build up those successes every day, start to build up that positive evidence. And we start to believe, because it was completely gone before, but we start to believe that we're capable of happiness. And when we feel capable, we can start to feel qualified, right? Not only can I be happy, but maybe I'm worthy of being happy, right? So it goes from capable to qualified. Once you feel capable and qualified, you feel confident. And once you feel confident, you're unstoppable. Talk a little bit about this. It really um, kind of a zing was the whole concept of wins. You mentioned about winning seems to be a large deal these days. Like we're collecting wins. Expand upon that if you could. I think that's a mindset. So I, I mentioned growing up, I was a four sport athlete, but I'm not winning against other people. I'm winning against me from yesterday. And I'm collecting my wins, my successes. I have a book that I call my little, I call my success book when I take things off of like my vision board or when I get a great goal achieved or when I get a thank you note from a team member or from a client, I put all those things in that success book so that when I am feeling like, oh man, because you feel this way, when I get that blip to the negative side and I'm like, man, I just, I'm I'm not good at what I do or I tried this and I failed and I'm just, maybe I'm not meant to do this or I I messed up and I ruined this or whatever it may be. I go to that success book and I review my wins and I see them as wins. But I think the big difference between 
it being a mindset and a competition is I have my wins for me, not to tout over other people. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, and looking at it that way, how do you see kind of the landscape of our country with, you know, a level of divisiveness and kind of almost tribalism? And it, you talked about extremes. It feels like we're seeing a lot more extremism and what's happening in many different landscapes. How do we work through that to create a uh, yeah, more happiness in our lives because it feels like we're being pulled further and further apart. Agreed. I would say there's a couple of components with this. And it's funny, I mentioned, hey, if somebody's legit, they talk about structure. I'm all, every time I'm like, I got one or two things and I'm like structuring mm -hmm. it. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, naturally that happens. But <laughs> um, I would say first and foremost is this idea that we're all in pain. And I say we're all, but like when there's this much divisiveness and there is this much separation it's because we're in pain and we don't know how to handle it mm -hmm. and what i mean by that is when i look at my own life and when i was angry i was not willing to listen to anybody else because that meant that i was wrong and if i was wrong that meant that maybe i wasn't a good enough person if oh I wasn't a good so true person, <laughs> yes exactly so, so like, true it, you know exactly what i'm talking about like, i do <laughs> It suddenly it takes like this anger and this aggression and this separation and this, I am locked into these beliefs or these ideals. And it's great to have boundaries, but there's a difference. That's when, if someone questions that you feel personally challenged, personally attacked. And the reason it feels that way is because mentally you're like, okay, and emotionally, okay, well, what's wrong with me? Like, what did I miss? Where, where are these points? And so we don't want to admit that maybe there's a different point of view. We don't want to admit that maybe we were wrong or that maybe we just weren't 100% correct. Like you can be right 70% and still have 30% that maybe you didn't consider somebody else did. And instead of seeing it as a challenge, a competition, a defeat, instead looking at it as a learning opportunity, I think makes the world of difference. So on a very personal level, I would say looking at every opportunity as a chance to learn and to grow and being open-minded and saying and understanding that we're all trying our best. And sometimes when it's those shouting matches, the name calling or any of those things that are going on, it's not, well, sometimes, but you're like, man, that person's a jerk, right. but you don't know what got them there. And they could be thinking the same thing about you. And you're like, but I'm not a jerk. I'm really trying here. I'm a good person. At that point, it's like, well, they're trying that too. And if I can loop it all back to happiness, everyone, and I would hope as adults, we don't have this, but I think we kind of do in a more broad sense, even your worst enemy, everyone wants to be happy. Everyone has that desire to be happy. Every human being has that naturally, that need, that want, that desire to be happy. And we just haven't figured out how to do it without tearing other people down on a broad scale. And it's because we're afraid to manage our emotions. We're afraid to explore deeper. We're afraid to have that vulnerability. And we're afraid to, dare I say it, put in the work to understand ourselves and find <laughs> happiness for us. The work part's the hard part. I think that's the, that's a big sticking point. I think in, in anything, my profession in fitness and nutrition and anything related to a long-term skill building behavior, the work part is the daunting part for so many because they see something 
And then they say, I want that. Like, but I want it now. I don't want that like years from now. I think that's that's the sticking point for a lot of people is how to be consistent in the journey and be and understand in that journey, it's not going to be completely happy every single step of the way. I think that's where some of happiness I think I think can be uh for some people looking at it, they think I'm gonna be happy this whole process and not understand that you are full of a range of emotions. Mm-hmm. And there's some days you're just not gonna feel good. You're just not. And I think some people don't allow that aspect of them. It's like, yes, you're working towards a longer term aspect of being happy, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to have bad days in the course of it. I mean. Absolutely. And I think too, you can have poor moments as well. So like, it doesn't have to be an entire day unless you let it. And I like to teach, it's called the clear method. And what it stands for is circumstance, language, emotion, action, and results. And essentially every circumstance in your life is neutral. So you got the job, you got divorced, you got in a car accident, you, what's another positive, happy thing? You got to be uh, on a podcast, right? Yeah. (laughs) Or you got that business sell, whatever it may be, whether it's positive or negative, the situation is neutral. It's the language that we've attached to add meaning to that situation that almost instantaneously builds our emotions. And then as much as we'd like to say we're logical creatures, we act on emotions. So our emotions then fuel our actions, which fuel our results. So knowing that you can work backwards from any situation, any result that you're in and go, okay, what actions did I take to get here? What emotions fuel that positive or negative, right? What emotions fuel that? And what language did I use around that circumstance that built upon all of these things? So when a situation happens, yeah, it can ruin your day or you can go, okay, what language did I use around like retroactively? What language did I use around that? Oh, I got rear-ended in at a light language. I used was like, are you freaking kidding me right now? I don't have time for this. And that person was probably on their phone and that language almost instantaneously builds the emotions of anger, frustration, irritation, et cetera, which could lead to the actions of me getting out of my car and being like, are you kidding me? Like, can't you pay attention and drive, which then could trigger them. And then we've got a two hour altercation resulting in the police being called. And I've wasted all this time on the side of the road because this person barely bumped into my 23 year old car's bumper. The other side of that is, okay, this is frustrating. I'm going to change my language. Instead of thinking of it as irritating and can't believe this person was on their phone. I don't have to be happy. I got rear ended, not at all, but I can neutralize that emotion and just be like, okay, who do I want to be in this situation? Okay, well, I want to be somebody, for me, I have a declaration that I am vibrant, abundant, and filled with light. So if I get out of my car and I'm angry, that's not very vibrant, abundant, or filled with light. So if I can change my language and go, okay, I'm vibrant, abundant, filled with light. I'm vibrant, abundant, filled with light. I can at least neutralize those negative emotions because I've changed my language, which can lead to the action of me getting out of my car and saying, hey, are you okay? Yep, I'm fine. Cool. I'm okay. Is your car okay? Yeah. Mine looks like it's okay too. I'm actually happy just to call this and call it good if you are. Yeah, great. Leave. It's a five-minute thing instead of a two-hour ordeal. And it's all based upon the language. So yeah, you can have bad days or you can have moments where you feel an emotion and you're like, yeah, I get it. I can feel that. That's fair. That's fine. That's important to feel whatever those emotions are. But then also you can make the decision to go, how could I have done differently? I could have changed my language and the meaning I'm attaching to this situation, this circumstance.
That's amazing. That's really good. Now, what happens when the other person does not have the language that you're having when they come at you? <laughs> so funny. The the car story is real. Uh, I actually For had that sure. happen. And it's the exact thing happened. Like I went through and I was like, okay, what's my declaration? Okay, okay. I just got to handle this. I'm going to neutralize my emotions. And I walked out. I was like, hey, are you okay? And the, the person who hit me was like, yeah. And I was like, okay. And they didn't ask me how I was doing. And I'm like, mm-hmm. is your car okay? And they're like, yeah, it's fine. And I'm sitting there like, are you kidding me? You ran into me. But I didn't say that. I was like, vibrant, abundant, filled with light, vibrant, abundant, filled with light, you know? And I was like, okay, well, I'm okay. My car's okay. I'm fine to call it. Yeah, that'd be great. And then they left. And I was like, I easily could have been like, well, you hit me. You're at fault. I can easily call the cops. And because of your attitude, because you're not managing your language, like, it could trigger me, but I'm like, no, who do I want to be in the situation? And I think that's one of the most important parts of happiness is it's yours. It's individual. So who do you want to be? What does your happiness life look, happiest life look like? And then how do you take every action and opportunity you can to embrace and embody that person? And then at that point, it doesn't matter what that other person does, regardless of them like punching you, which they shouldn't because you're coming out calm. Right. But like, Regardless of what they have going on, when you can come into your own happiness, you can see, ah, I was there. That person was probably really upset that they rear-ended me. And I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, this little bit of grace. Maybe they were on their phone. They ran into me, but they'd just gotten bad news since they were looking down at their phone. I don't know. But I've been in those situations where I've been the angry one. And I'm so glad that the other person didn't goad me into doing more because they weren't managing themselves. So I think when other people are not in the space you're in, providing them grace, dare I say a little bit of love and letting them be them because they're going to get to it eventually, but you can't let them bring down your belief and your vision of who it is you want to be in these situations. You know, what's interesting about that. I, I wanted to get your, I, I want to get your sense of something. One, I think I love what you're saying. And like, I subscribe to that. Like, I'm a very calm person. If things happen, I'm very, very relaxed. I'm like, okay. And, uh, but, you know, what you're telling yourself and that sense of calmness and vibrancy, do you think that that's happening with a lot of people in that situation? Or, or is it, and we're just being shown lots of incidences where people are being violent and going crazy with let's say the car crash type of thing are we being Mm -hmm. is it really is it is is how you're acting or maybe how i feel more common or is it what we're seeing through projections images social media streaming i'm gonna say a combo i think there are a lot of people that could improve i i know i personally could always improve um So I think there's a lot of opportunities to improvement for improvement, but I also think there's a lot of people out there like you and me who can remain calm in those situations. I've had to learn to be calm in those situations. Again, rage monster previously, right? Like you have to learn it. It's a skill, um, skill to be happy, of course. But I also think going back to that, like sensationalization, those quick wins, the, I'm going to say it's even romanticized. Like it's romanticized to be angry and aggressive over sad or Isn't that even, crazy? That's or true. Even over yeah. happiness. So I do think it's the images and the stories we're being told 
that we take in and then believe it's much bigger than it than it actually is. And I think that's important. I like to talk too when it comes to happiness about your inputs. What are you inputting into your life and how is that impacting your life? So if we're watching the news and we see all these things over and over and over again that are like road rage incidents, for example, we're going to believe that everyone out there has road rage. And what language are we going to use? Oh crap, that person just ran into me. They're probably going to be really aggressive and on road rage. So now I need to defend and protect myself. So I need to get out in front of that and be first and be like, Hey, you just ran into me. What the F right? Right. And our brain goes through that so rapidly and so quickly, but it comes back to that language that we told ourselves. And so being aware of your inputs and being aware how that impacts your language is huge. Totally. I, I feel like we're being told certain things about like, hey, society is violent. We're being sent these pictures and images. And of course, there's violence in the world and in society. But I also think it's not the way it's being projected. And I think there are a lot of good people out there. I really do. And that are doing good things. We're just not highlighting the fact that they're out there like in droves. And it's just weird, sensationalized aspect that we seem to just continue to make a large part of our viewing existence. Mm-hmm. Is there a sense that you have that people that there's an, do you see a large change to that at some point in our society that maybe we will begin to highlight the goodness, the happiness, the, those stories more than the sensationalized negative ones? Oh yeah. I think that that's happening already. Um, I think that like you have the, it's a good news show that John Krasinski started at the start of COVID. Like that whole thing is about highlighting good news. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that want that and that it's starting to happen in transition. Is it mainstream? Not yet. I think it will be, but I also think it's us to, up to us as individuals to own what we're inputting. Uh, so for example, not happened yet cause it's not November, but back when I was, in the very beginning stages of my happiness journey, I actually did a challenge for myself. I made it up called no Netflix November. (laughs) And I turned off Netflix and didn't watch it for a whole month. And it changed everything. I wasn't inputting these somewhat darker shows. I wasn't wasting my time in front of the TV for something that didn't add value in my life. I did so much more. I finished, I did NaNoWriMo that month as well. And so I finished my novel, like all of these things because I cut out Netflix. And in fact, I lost 20 pounds and some would say that's too rapid to be healthy, but I didn't do it on purpose. I would come home, I'd turn on the TV, I'd grab food. I was eating cans of frosting, like by the can, one a night. And I would scroll through social media. I was trying to numb out from everything that was going on in my life. And when I started to do this, like again, very beginning stages of my journey, I was like, no Netflix November. And I realized that Netflix was a bookend habit for me that when I sat down on the couch and I turned it on, I would end up spending six hours eating the whole time and scrolling on social media the whole time. Wasn't adding value to my life. When I cut that out, I wasn't, I wasn't hungry. So I wasn't eating for six hours straight. I was doing other things with my, with my time and my energy. So I wasn't scrolling on social media and it boosted my happiness considerably. So on that front, like it's up to us as individuals to own the responsibility for what we're putting into our lives, what we're bringing and decide if it adds value or not. And so this is random, but I'm going to do a no Netflix November, uh, this November in my Facebook group. And, uh, I'm excited to see the results of it because I do think that 
as individuals, we can own, we can, we own the right to consume what we want to consume. And if we're finding that there's all these negative sensationalization things, type of type of things happening, we can choose whether or not we want that in our lives. And we can support those that are those smaller channels that are providing the good lens on things. Wonderful stuff. Really well said, Taylor. It's been real having you on. <laughs> it's been fun. It's been informational. It's been happy. I really well, so enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you for being on. Um, it's a pleasure speaking with people like yourself. And um, I can't wait for people to really check this out and, and gain some really good information. I love it. Thank you so much. This was I, as you can tell, I love talking about this kind of stuff and I love talking about it with people like you who are in that same space and have those great habits because it's just like we're speaking the same language. And I hope that this episode can help other people learn that language too. Most definitely. Thank you again. And where can people, I know you have your podcast. I got to talk to you again. I definitely want to talk about your podcast, but tell, tell us where you can find your podcast, websites, all that stuff. Please check, put it out there. Yeah. Sure. So my company name and my website is Happiness Abound. So you go to happinessabound.com, not plural, but singular, abound. And uh, podcast by the same name. It's on all major listening podcast platforms. Uh, today, actually, episode 530 went out. So plenty of episodes to listen to yeah. and to choose from. And uh, then I have a Facebook group that's called Happiness Abounders. And uh, of course, you can find me on uh, Instagram, happiness underscore abound. Facebook, it's Happiness Abound blog. Pretty much type in Happiness Abound and you will find a way to contact You'll get me. Taylor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your time. We will be in touch. Thank you so much. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching, and finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine, and when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences. And it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So get the donut, stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text donut to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.